Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Indians 5, the Kansas City Royals 2. The Indians take the first game of this four-game set against the Royals at home. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And hey, before I get started, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, no matter whatever you're doing out there, take a second and go ahead if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you're on some of the other ones that have ratings or reviews, do me a favor, leave a star rating, leave a review for the show. It really helps other people find the show. It helps increase the ranking of the show. So I'd really appreciate it. If you have a second, hop on iTunes, hop on Apple Podcasts, hit a star rating for me. All right, let's get into the action. Let's see how it all went down. And it was Zach Plesak on the mound yesterday for Cleveland, his fifth start of the season, and he pitched pretty darn good. He uh, he gets the win. He moves the 3-1 and one on the season. On the mound for the Royals is their ace, Keller, Brad Keller. He takes a loss. He goes to 3-2 and two on the season, and Brad Hand gets the save. The Indians did their five runs on eight hits. The Royals actually two runs on nine hits, but they did have two errors in the game. That would prove costly. So how did it all go down? How did the Indians do it last night? Well, they did it in weird ways. They did it in really strange ways. They scored all five of their runs on not typical plays or just not they were not on hits. I mean, Oscar Mercado had the only RBI hit, and his was an infield single. So it was a strange game. Plesek, I believe, gave up a hit in every inning, in all seven innings that he pitched in this game, and yet was able to stay out of trouble, hold base runners, pitch around it, and pitch effectively uh, the whole game. Whit Merrifield starts the game with a single. He then gets Hunter Dozier to strike out swinging, Michael Franco to fly out, and Ryan O'Hearn to ground out. So a nice first inning for him. The Indians don't do much in the first, but in the second, give a shout-out here to uh, Zach Plesak in the top of the second, who snared an Alex Gordon bouncer that would have gone over most pitchers' head. Plesak climbs the ladder and gets it, like he's pulling down a rebound and flips it to first for the out. So big defense there from Zach Plesak. If you're a pitcher, you got to field your position. He gives up a single to Oliveris in that inning, but then Oliveris is caught stealing, and that's it for them in the second. The Indians would get the scoring going in the second. Carlos Santana singles on a line drive to right. Vermeil Reyes singles on a ground ball to left. Moves Carlos Santana all the way up to third. Then Tyler Nake went up, runners on the corner, nobody out. He reaches on a fielder's choice. He hits a really hard ball off of Whit Merrifield's glove. It hit him in the heel and scoots out into center field. Santana scores. Reyes goes all the way to third. Big hustle by Reyes. It scored as an error against Merrifield. So Naquin gets the RBI, but does not get a hit, and the Indians are up 1-0. This was a perfect situation um, now, I know Whit Merrifield's a professional, and I'm just a guy with a podcast, but if you're teaching kids how to play infield, getting your body in front of the ball is so important, especially a ball like that. He tried to backhand that ball, and because he tried to backhand that ball, his body was in front of it, so when it hit off the heel, it scooted out into center field. 
if he, it looked like he had time, I'm telling you, and he's the professional, I'm not, but it looked like he had time to take one more step. He would have been able to square his body to it and at least get his body in front of it. That way, if it takes that bad hop, it's hitting him in the chest and it's not going out in the outfield. So if you're teaching kids how to play the infield, how to play defense, this is a perfect play to show them to say, stop doing those backhands, get your body in front of the ball. It works in the Indians' favor. We score the first run. Then Josh Naylor comes up. He grounds out to Alberto Mondesi. It's a force play at second. Fermil Reyes is able to come in to score. Nick wins out at second. It was hit to Mondesi's backside. So by the time he came up with it, really second base was the only place he could go with it. So Naylor brings in that run. And Naylor, of course, swings at the first pitch. Uh, my brother pointed me this out to me early when Naylor first got here, but he seems to really love swinging at the first pitch. And in his career, he has 38 plate appearances, basically, where he's put the ball in play. Something has happened on that. He, you know, fly, whether he got out or fouled out or he got a hit, he swung and had some event happen on that first pitch 38 times. And to be honest, he's hitting 289 in those situations with a 789 OPS. So really not terrible. He's got 11 hits, three doubles, a triple, and a homer swinging at that first pitch, having an event happen on that first pitch. Now his best count, his best count is actually 01. When he's sitting 01, he's hitting 423 with an 890 OPS. When it's a 1-1 count, he's hitting 417 with a 917 OPS. So, and then after a 1-0 count, he's hitting 298 with a 390 uh, with a 925 OPS. So, a lot of numbers I just threw at you really quickly, but the point is he actually is better early in the count. Even 01, he is a better hitter when he's being aggressive and swinging early. So, and the numbers don't lie there. So let's hope uh, Naylor stays aggressive because uh, it seems to be working for him. So it's 2-0 Indians. Roberto Perez then grounds into a double play to end the threat. But 2-0 Indians, and that's big. Plesak is one of our best pitchers right now. And giving him a 2-0 lead that early in the game had to feel real good. Plesak keeps giving up hits. He gives, Like I said, he gave up a hit every inning, but he also keeps getting strikeouts. He gets Dozer to strike out to end the third. He gets Bubba Starling to strike out, looking to end the fourth. It looked like his breaking ball was really working for him last night, whether it was a changeup or a slider. It looked like it was off speed, and it was dropping out of the zone, and it was really working for him last night. In the fourth inning, the Indians would get another chance for some more unconventional runs. Lindor singles. Carlos Santana lines out. Fermil Reyes singles behind him, moves Lindor all the way to third. And then Tyler Naquin, sack fly to left field, brings in Francisco Lindor. And we've talked about how Tyler Naquin could go to the opposite field. He can put some doubles out there in left field. He is not like some lefties that always pull. He is not afraid of it. This looked like a ball off the bat that could have been one of those doubles down the line. It hung up for Alex Gordon, who is probably one of the best defensive left fielders in the game. Uh, but Lindor, Lindor's quick, and Lindor is able to come in from third and score. Gives Naquin another RBI on the day and makes it 3-0 Indians. 
More great defense from Zach Plesak in the fifth. After Oliveri singles, Alberto Montesi tries to bunt, but Plesak's able to get the bunt and throw it to Lindor at second base and get Oliveri's out at second. That's big. That is something that really prevents... I mean, we already have a 3-0 lead, but if they scratch across a run, they make it a close game there. So being able to hold that inning, hold that runner there, get that out, instead of having to go to first with it, being able to get that out of second, again, Plesak fielding his position. That's big. Alberto Mondesi actually steals. He stole off of Roberto Perez. We didn't think it could be done, but he was able to do it. However, uh, Plesak gets a line out and a fly out to end that threat. They would finally get to Plesak in the seventh. It's still a 3-0 game. He gets two ground outs to start the inning. However, Alberto Mondesi gets a fastball that's high and tight, and he got his hands through. The only way to hit a ball high and tight like this is to get your hands through the zone quickly. And Mondesi hit this ball so far, it bounced up into the concession stands in right field there. So if that's your one of your favorite spots... Uh, what's over there? I think the, uh, I think Holy Moses ice cream is over there. I think there's a burger place over there. Well, that's where Montessi put this ball. So man, don't you kind of miss, uh, some of the ballpark food, right? I know it's overpriced. I know it's ridiculous, but it's kind of nice. All the options we have in the ballpark these days, and it's, uh, going to waste right now. Nobody can enjoy it. So, uh, Montessi posed, uh, after this home run at home plate, he definitely sat there and watched this one go. It was his first homer of the season. The guy's struggling. I mean, Mondesi is hitting, he's hitting 200 on the season after that with an OPS of 499. A guy that's supposed to be a franchise player for them at shortstop. The defense is there. The bat is not right now. It's his first home run of the season. And Hamilton is a very, Tom Hamilton is a very old school guy. And he was calling that inning last night. And he was not happy about Mondesi posing on that home run. You can tell when something kind of pisses off Hamilton. If he's really mad, he'll just talk about it nonstop. If he's kind of mad about it, he'll just pepper it into the conversation. He'll just keep bringing it up. Boy, I'm surprised Mondesi stood there and watched that ball. He'll just keep, you know, picking away at it. And that was what happened last night with that Mondesi home run. So he did not make the home radio announcer very happy by posing. The Indians didn't seem to care. It's not like we hit the next batter or anything. There was no retribution for it or anything like that. But it's always funny listening to Cranky Hamilton get cranky. All right. But uh, Plesak would stay in there, get a ground out to end the inning. And that would be his line on the day. Seven innings pitched. Seven hits, one earned run on the homer, and four strikeouts, no walks from Plesak. So we talked about yesterday with uh, Shane Bieber how walks can lead to some big trouble. No walks for Plesak, and he stays out of big trouble the entire day. The Indians would add more runs here. Naylor would single on a ground ball to start the bottom of the seventh. They left Brad Keller in, the starter for the Royals. Roberto Perez would then single on a ground ball to center field. Naylor goes all the way to third. Man, we were doing a great job last night of getting runners at the corners with no outs, one out. 
moving that runner over to third, getting him up to third, and giving all those options. We talked about when a runner gets a third, there's so many ways they can score. We proved it last night. This is proves the theory. So I think this game was more won by being able to advance runners around the bases, by not leaving a guy at first base. Because then when the hits come, or when the sack flies come, or when the fielding errors come, those runs can come in to score. So it wasn't pretty last night. Oscar Mercado gets this run in by chopping a ball to Michael Franco, who again reaches up and gets it, snares it, not able to come up with it cleanly. He's able to knock it down, so it goes as a hit. Naylor scores, and Roberto Perez goes to second. So... Big job by Oscar Mercado there. It wasn't pretty, but it's an RBI hit for him. That's got to feel good. 4-1 Cleveland. Then Cesar Hernandez lays down a sack bunt. Third baseman, uh, it, it was a weird bunt because they actually got the runner at second. So Roberto Perez is able to go to third. Mercado is out at second. And Cesar Hernandez is safe at first. Usually in those bunt situations, you try to get the lead runner. This uh, maybe the way Franco's body was, he just couldn't turn around and get it to third or no one was covering third. And he has to go to second with it, and he gets Mercado at second. So a little bit of a strange play there. But we get a guy to third, one out now. And Mike Freeman, who came into the game for Jose Ramirez, I guess Jose Ramirez is dealing with a thumb issue. Sandy Alomar made it seem, I think Mandy Bellner article said that uh, there's probably a chance Freeman is going to start at third tonight, but they're hoping it's nothing serious for Jose Ramirez. So we'll have to stay up to date on that. But Mike Freeman pinch hitting. He's down in the count, count and he lines one out into right field. It looked like off the bat he might have had extra bases, but Edward Olivares is able to track it down. He makes a nice sliding catch. Great defense by the Royals outfield last night. I got to give credit where credit is due. Alex Gordon had a diving catch against Carlos Santana. This is a nice catch here against Mike Freeman, but Roberto Perez is able to tag and score. That's right. Big Roberto Perez, slow catcher, is able to tag from third and come in for score and made it 5-1 to one Cleveland. Again, Big, just scratching across runs all game. It was really good to see. It was a fun game all around. After two more walks, they're finally able to get Fermil Reyes to fly out to end the threat. After it was 5-1, they finally took Brad Keller out of the game. I was surprised. He gave up three hits in a row there in the seventh inning. I was shocked that they were leaving him in the game. Maybe they were trying to save their bullpen at that point. But Keller's final line is six and two-thirds, eight hits, five runs, four earned, a walk, and a strikeout. So, in no ways the dominating performance we saw from Keller uh, last time we faced him. In the eighth inning, Adam Simber comes in to pitch. We got a 5-1 lead. Why not? He gets Merrifield to ground out. He then gives up a triple to Hunter Dozier, who smoked a... You know, when you're a sidearm or your curveball sometimes sits right in the middle of the plate, and that's exactly what happened to Simber here. Dozier smokes it off the wall in center field. That, when you're wondering what barrels are, that's a barrel. And Michael Franco singles up the middle to drive him in. That would be the three batter minimum that Simber would have to face. Like I said, we learn a lot about Sandy Elmer Jr. every day. After those three batters, Simber's gone. He pulls him from the game, brings in Phil Maiden. He gets a ground out and a line out to end the threat. 
Then in the ninth inning, it's Brad Hand's turn again. This is another situation where I was thinking to myself, maybe use Karen Check here. You got a three-run lead. It's still a save situation. It might be good to get Karen Check back in a game. It's been a while since we've seen him. He goes to Brad Hand for the third day in a row, and uh, Brad Hand was not messing around last night. He was ready to get to dinner. He gets Bubba Starling uh, looking on a fastball who painted the bottom edge of the strike zone. He gets Olivares to swing over his slider, and then he gets Alberto Mondesi looking at a slider. He struck out the side in the ninth inning, and it was beautiful work. 15 pitches thrown, 13 for strikes. It's his 12th save of the season. His ERA is down to 2.45 now. And you know what? I know Plesak pitched great. There was nothing flashy about what Plesak did. Only four strikeouts, gave up the seven hits and seven innings, but limited the damage. But what Hand did in that ninth inning was nasty. He was nasty striking out those KC hitters. So for that, I'm giving Brad Hand MVP for a day. Because Brad Hand is climbing up, not climbing up the charts, he's leading the charts. He is leading all relievers in saves this year. He's 12 for 12 in save opportunities. Let me refresh the page in case there was any late games last night on the West Coast that need to update their stats. Nope, he's leading with 12 saves. The next closest is Liam Hendricks in Oakland with 10 and Kenley Jansen in the Dodgers with 10. And that's 10 in 11 save opportunities. So they both have a blown save. In fact, the only other person that's perfect is Zach Britton uh, and Trevor Rosenthal. They're both perfect in save opportunities. Rafael Montero in Texas is perfect in save opportunities. But nobody can match Brad Hand 12 for 12 in save opportunities. Now, he does not have the lowest whip. He does not have the lowest ERA. Hendricks is a 1.56 ERA. Kenley Jansen's 106. Alex Colome for the White Sox is a 115 ERA. Brad Hand's at a 2.45. There were a couple of bad outings, but those are in non-save situations. So his ERA is a little bit higher than everybody else's. His whip is really up there with the best of the best. His whip is 0.89. Liam Hendricks' whip is 0.75. And Kenley Jansen is 0.88. So he is up there with those guys. Strikeouts are at 19. Hendricks is at 25. Jansen is at 24. So there is your best of the best as far as closers go right now. And Brad Hand is leading them with 12 saves. So uh, I think someone on Twitter made a great joke last night about, I know what the numbers say, but it doesn't change my anxiety every time Brad Hand goes into a game. I get it. But man, I really hope watching last night calms you down and makes you feel more comfortable about Brad Hand. The Indians offense, uh, things really got going at Lindor. Uh, Jose uh, Cesar Hernandez wasn't on base last night. Neither was Jose Ramirez. So Lindor gets two hits and a walk. He's on base three times. Santana with a hit and a walk. All you Walktana fans, there you go. Fermil Reyes on base three times last night. Two hits and a walk. Naquin gets the two RBIs. Doesn't get a hit, but gets the two RBIs on the night. Naylor, Perez, and Mercado all have hits. So a really solid game from the Indians offensively and defensively and pitching all around. A pretty good win for the Cleveland Indians, who, with the White Sox off, move into a share for a tie for first place. Now, it was interesting that Brad Keller, his last two starts, were back-to-back against the Indians for Kansas City. 
And you don't see that very often, but in this weird 60-game season, uh, I'm, pro- I'm sure it's happened to other pitchers too. We just got to get these games in, and so you end up facing a team in back-to-back starts. So what was the difference? What did the Indians do differently this time, right? They get eight hits this time against only three hits in their last in his last start against us. In his last start, he went six and a third. This time, he goes six and two-thirds, so comparable. Three hits to eight hits last night. Obviously, one run to five runs last night. Let's get into some advanced stats. How about batted balls? You would think maybe we hit more line drives last night, right? We were getting more hits? No. In the first start, we hit 33% line drives. Last night was only 19% line drives. We actually hit more ground balls last night. In his first start, he gave up 55% ground balls. Last night, it was 65% ground balls. We were definitely doing a better job of using the whole field. In the first start, we pulled the ball 50% of the time. Last night, we only pulled the ball 44% of the time. Our hits to center, our hits to opposite field were both up. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, eight hits, we were definitely making more hard contact. That was the difference last night, right? No. In that first start on uh, August 31st, it was 50% hard contact. Last night, it was only 29% hard contact. We were actually up to 44% medium contact. So... Uh, it, it's not what you think happened last night. His pitch type was the same. Uh, no change-ups last night. It was all fastballs and sliders. 66% fastball, 34% slider. That's basically what he did in a start in August against us. Maybe the plate discipline is the difference. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the swing percentage, the total percentage of pitches a batter swings at, In his first start against us, we swung at 41% of the pitches. Last night, we swung at 49% of the pitches. So we were being a little bit more aggressive against him. And uh, his first pitch strikes were about the same. His swinging strikes were actually up a little bit. Uh, The percentage of contact we actually made when we were swinging at pitches was slightly down. So uh, I guess we were just swinging more. We were using more of the field. And we were just hitting the balls in the right spots last night. It was just one of those nights against Brad Keller. So uh, there you go. It's interesting. We never really get to compare that back-to-back like that. So uh, speaking of comparing things, the last stat I want to take a look at is, uh, if you didn't realize it, Zach Plesak is actually one of our best pitchers right now. He only has five starts because he had to sit out. But comparing him to uh, Shane Bieber is actually pretty interesting. So Bieber is obviously 7-0 on the season. He has a 1-2-5 ERA in nine starts. Plesak in five starts is 3-1 with a 1-3-2 ERA. Shane Bieber's whip is 0.85. Zach Plesak's whip, that's walks, hits per inning pitch, is 0.74. He's actually got a better whip because he doesn't Walk guys. So let's see what's been the difference between Plesak and Bieber. What's making Bieber the leading candidate for the Cy Young and uh, Plesak following behind him? Well, Bieber doesn't give up many barrels. I can tell you that. He only has six barrels on the season. That's a 5.5% barrels. What about Zach Plesak? Only four barrels on the season. That's 6% barrels. What about exit velocity? Now, that's a, becoming a big thing, right? How hard guys are getting hit. The exit velocity off Zach Plesak 
is 86.6. The exit velocity off Shane Bieber, 89. He's actually getting hit slightly harder. All right. What about the sweet spot? How many times does uh, Shane Bieber end up in the sweet spot? Only 28.2% of the time is he getting hit in the sweet spot of the bat. For Plesak, it's a little bit higher, 29.9%. All right. I'm going to keep going here. What about the K rate? All right. The strikeout percentage. 30.3% 30.3% K rate for Zach Plesak. For Shane Bieber, it's a 42.9% K rate. Remember, he's leading the league in that. The walk percentage, he's at uh, 6.4%. Shane Bieber is walking guys 6.4% of the time. What about Zach Plesak? 2% of the time he's walking guys. That's top 2% in the league. All right, so there you go. So there's some of the statistical differences between uh, Plesak and Shane Bieber right now. Uh, I could keep going. The uh, the plate discipline numbers, um, Zach Plesak is pitching in the zone 51% of the time. Shane Bieber is pitching inside the zone only 40.9% of the time. So he is definitely getting more guys to swing outside the zone. Uh, That's how he's getting all those strikeouts. His chase percentage, the percentage of time guys are chasing pitches off of Shane Bieber right now, 34.6% of the time. The chase percentage off Zach Plesak is 32.4% of the time. That's actually pretty comparable. First pitch strikes for Zach Plesak, 62% of the time. First pitch strikes for Shane Bieber, 63% of the time. That's comparable. The whiff rate is where it's going to be different. 42% of the time, he's getting guys to whiff. Zach Plesak is only at 31% of the time. So there you go. There are some of the statistical differences. I can keep going. I can keep bouncing back to other things. But there are some of the statistical differences between Plesak and Shane Bieber. And obviously, it's the swing and miss. That's what's kind of separating Shane Bieber from the pack right now. But you can see... Plesak is doing just as good as Shane Bieber on this season. So I think it's really impressive. I think, uh, actually, if you add Oscar Mercado in here, because Mercado is obviously is even in a smaller sample size, could match some of these guys on numbers. So I think right now you got to look at Shane Bieber, Zach Plesak, and Tristan McKenzie are our top starters right now. Savali has struggled a little bit. Clevenger is... Um, Clevenger's been traded. Carrasco has been struggling a little bit right now. So, uh, yeah, I think it's McKenzie. I think it goes Bieber, Plesak, McKenzie. To be honest, if I had to put my best three pitchers on the mound right now for a playoff series, those are my three best pitchers. So, uh, McKenzie actually gets the start tonight. So, that leads me into my next topic. McKenzie is going against Junis, and uh, we will see what he can do against this Royals lineup. Was his last start also against the Royals? I feel like because these series are back-to-back, we're going to see this uh, situation play out for everybody here. Let's take a look at the game logs. Yep, on September 2nd, he faced Kansas City and got the win. So this will be his second start back-to-back against Kansas City, his fourth start of the season. So obviously, we will take a look at the numbers after the start tonight tomorrow morning, and see how McKenzie does. I mean, he pitched pretty freaking good. He went six innings, three hits, no earned runs, no walks, six strikeouts against Kansas City last time. So, hey, 
just match that again, and I think the Indians will come up with another win. So those are all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking that deep dive with me on uh, some of those pitching statistics. We'll be back tomorrow morning to talk about Tristan McKenzie and hopefully another Cleveland Indians win. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Indians 5, the Kansas City Royals 2. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.